week four of our identity series, so you're welcome to take out your identity books. Uh, wow, this is wet. Do we have a leak in here? Or was the podium sweating? Never mind. There's water here. Oh, the aircon system. So I think we're on page 10. So go to page 10 in your notes. You'll be needing to draw some pictures today, so make sure you have a pen handy. And uh, uh, we are halfway through this series. This is week four. We've done three weeks, life group, the devotions every day, and on Sundays as well. And uh, I was so challenged by the life group video this week and the life group questions. And so in our life group, um, the question that really stumped me or made me sit back and think was, what would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? I've never thought of that question before. And so as we in our life group answered that question, I was amazed by all the different dreams that other people in our group had and how they'd wanted to serve God if they knew there was no risk of failure attached to it. And I was just blown away by the answers that everyone had given. And then I was so challenged thinking later in the rest of the week that I so often in my life, when I think about serving God, when I think about God's call on my life, I so often limit what God wants for me by my own circumstances. Sure, I've got three young kids, I've got a busy job, etc. I can only do this much, Lord. And I, I wonder for many of us if we've limited God's plans simply because we look at our circumstance. Sure, I don't have time, uh, we're only a one-car family, or we live far away, or whatever our circumstances are, I wonder how often we've said, okay, God, I can only do this much. We limit God's calling by our circumstance, or by our capacity, or I'm just not gifted in that region, Lord God. You know that if you look in the Bible, just about every single person that God calls, does God ever look, oh, shame, you've got three kids, I'll wait till they leave home, then I'll call you. Did God ever do that? Does he ever look at our circumstances and say, oh, you can't serve me because of, you know, you've got gray hair now, or happy birthday, Ian, you've got no hair, you know, your, your service is limited. <laughs> no, he doesn't. God doesn't look at our capacity and say, oh, you can only serve in these areas because, no, but often we limit, I think, we limit God's call by looking at our circumstances. Anyway, that's what I felt challenged with in this series as we kind of going through it. But um, we're in week four today, and so far we've covered in week one the identity gap. Put up the picture of the two circles. You'll remember that uh, the aim of this whole series of the six weeks is to get these two circles to, to go closer together. So on the left-hand side, the yellow circle, this is what God sees to be true about me, right? On the right-hand side, the white circle, this is what I believe about myself. And there's a region where they cross over, that blue number one. And this is God's truth about me that I have come to believe that has changed my life, right? I'm living in God's truth. It's an amazing place to live in, right? But in segment two, there's a whole lot of stuff that God sees and God believes about me to be true, but I'm not yet walking in. I haven't yet grasped it. I might know about it. I might have read the scriptures, etc. but I'm not living in the fullness of that revelation yet, okay? It's an identity gap. Then on the segment three, 
This is stuff that I believe about myself, but that God doesn't believe. That's a fancy way of saying lies, <laughs> all right? Because we do believe stuff about ourselves that is not true. It's come from the world. It's come from social media. It's come from our teachers who put a label on us or our bad earthly father or whatever it might be or the lies of the devil. We believe it. We think it's true, but actually God would say, no, that's not the truth. And that's an identity gap. And our aim is to get that gap smaller, those two circles closer together, yeah? That was week one. Week two, we said, let's look at these identity gaps we have. And week two was, I'm a child of God, He is my Father, right? Last week, we looked at this topic, I am a servant of God, He is my Master. And today, week four, we're looking, I am a saint, He is my Savior. So you can write that to the top of page 10, I am a saint, He is my Savior, now, you might be thinking, maybe the guys in the front row, right, these are the saints, <laughs> a very spiritual part of the church, right? But, but if you call me a saint, that doesn't clop with what I know about myself. That doesn't make sense. I'm kind of like scratching my head. I've heard of some of the saints, St. Patrick, St. Francis of Assisi, all these other like saints, but I've never heard of Saint me. How can you call me a saint? So if we go back like around about a thousand years or so in church history, the church at that time developed a process, like a system for recognizing people who were very, 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 very holy, like Cheryl, <laughs> St. Cheryl, right? And this process kind of changed over time. It kind of evolved, if you like, and they wanted to recognize and give a title to these people who had a big influence on the faith, on, the, on society, but they lived a really holy life. And so these are some of the things that needed to happen if you were to qualify to be called saint, dot, 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 whatever your name is. Firstly, you had to have been dead for five years. Sorry, Cheryl, not yet. Okay? So if you wanted to be called a saint by the, 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 the church, right, and have that title, you had to be dead for five years. So none of us technically could be saints, right? Then... They would, once this person has died, they would investigate their life, go and interview the brothers and sisters, the family, and really try to establish, were, was this person living a virtuous life? Were they really as holy as their mom thought they were? You know, moms can never see anything wrong in their kids, right? You can't be a saint just because your mom says so. <laughs> so they would investigate their life. Were they virtuous? Were they holy? The next thing they would do is look at, was, what was the influence of this person's life? Did they inspire other people to seek God? Did they inspire others to pray to God and draw near to Him? Was there some positive spiritual influence in, that this person had lived out in their lives? And then lastly, at least two miracles, like miracles, miracles, had to be attributed to this person. Why? Because if, you know, if, if there's a supernatural miracle, then God must have heard them, and God must have thought they were great if... if God heard their prayer, and two miracles happened at some point in their life, right? And then at that point, they could be called saint, whatever the saint was, right? And so what ends up happening to you and I, we, we know the word saint, um, we know St. Paul, St. James, we know lots of landmarks and streets are named after these saints. I remember when um, one of the first overseas trips I took at university was to Hungary, and I went to Budapest. And they're a very Catholic country, and they have all the saints, right? But their favorite saint was Saint Stephen. 
I thought that was cool because my dad's name is Stephen. But obviously in Hungarian, it's Saint Istvan. You don't say Stephen, you say Istvan. But they had St. Istvan's Square and St. Istvan's Cathedral, and like St. Stephen was their favorite kind of saint. So we're familiar with this concept of saint and how holy it must be, but then we think, ah, that can't be you and me, because there's no ways, if people had to investigate my life, there's no ways they would be recommending me for, for sainthood, right? So we assume that whatever a saint is, it's definitely not you and me, Yeah? And in English, we have this kind of phrase or, or, or saying, we say, I'm no saint. And that's kind of a way of saying, well, I'm not perfect, I've, I've got flaws, like I don't do things right all the time, I'm no saint, okay? And so we, so we build up this kind of view of the word saint, where saint means someone really holy, 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 someone who, who hardly ever does anything wrong. Their thoughts are pure. When they walk, the angels sing. In fact, they don't walk, they float along. There's like a halo if you look carefully. And, you know. So we think saint, and that's the picture we have, if we're honest. Am I right? That's why you're all laughing, because you've had the same thoughts I've had. The challenge with that thinking is that segment three thinking. That's wrong thinking. And if we turn to the Bible, what God says, it's quite different. And that's quite troubling for us. Let's read a few scriptures. Ephesians 1 verse 1, we've read this verse a few times in this series. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Some translations say to God's holy people, to the saints. A few verses down, verse, or chapter 1 verse 15, Paul carries on. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... Not just the holy select few in the front row, but your love towards all the saints. Chapter 2, verse 19, he carries on. He says, so then you, all of us, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and with the saints, with God's holy people. And so these verses, Paul's writing to the churches in Ephesus, that kind of region, and He's writing to all the believers in the church, not just to those three or four who sit in the front row who have halos or, or whatever it might be. He's writing to all of them. And so I'm sure in those churches, there would have been Christ followers who'd only recently crossed that line into faith. They might have been a few days old or a few weeks old in the Lord. There would have been others who'd been serving God for years and years. Paul writes to all of them and says to the saints, who are in Ephesus. And Paul calls them all saints. But anyone who's read the whole book of Ephesians knows that these people, they weren't the finished product. They still had some, they, no, if they investigated their lives, they wouldn't have found it squeaky clean. Listen to what he says. He's writing to these saints. And in Ephesians 4, the same letter, he says this, get rid of all bitterness Rage and anger, brawling and slander. Yo, imagine that church meet, prayer meeting. He looks like it's a fist fight. But he's writing to the saints and he says, stop fighting. Stop throwing left hooks. <laughs> Ephesians 5 verse 18, the same letter he writes, do not get drunk on wine. So Paul's saying, some of you guys have got a drinking problem. You need to dial it back a bit. This is not in line with your identity. 
this behavior. Stop doing it, Paul's saying. But he's saying it much nicer, right? So clearly, these people in Ephesus were very much a work in progress. Would you agree? Okay? That's good news for you and I, because you and I are also very much a work in progress. I don't see any halos today. Leave it at home, eh? Needed washing. <laughs> you just get sparkly again. So, so we know that we, we don't feel like a saint. If we look at our own lives, we realize, oh, I'm far from being called a saint. And yet Paul says, God says that we are saints. So how do we reconcile this difference? God says I'm a saint, but cheapers. If I look at my life, actually, I, and I wouldn't qualify, right? How do we reconcile this? So get out your books and your pen. We're going to draw some pictures this morning. And uh, can you put up the first drawing, the first picture, right? You need to draw this. It's going to take about six or seven lines. We're going to go under this. We're going to write down some stuff. For the lazy people, just take a, a picture with your phone every time the drawing updates, okay? I won't judge you, but post it if you want. So the first picture here, if you look on the, the left, draw a dot. That's when you're born. Whatever that year and date is, you're welcome to fill it in if you want. And then draw a line all the way to the end of your page with a little arrow that keeps going on to eternity. And uh, the second dot there where the cross is, draw a dot somewhere on that line. That's the point where you came to faith in Jesus, where you said, ah, I need God to rescue me from my sin. I need God to forgive me. I need to get my life right with God. Well, however you talk about that moment, for some of you, you'll know exactly when it happened. The date, time, place, it was a, you can remember the event clearly. For others, you might say, well, hey, somewhere between grade eight and nine, that's when I got serious about my faith. I don't know the exact date, but somewhere there. That's where we come to faith. The third dot, where it looks like a little sun, that's when we get promoted. That's when we die. And death is like a negative connotation, but to us who have faith, we promoted. We get to be with Jesus. That's why the line carries on forever and ever and ever. All right, so that's the timeline that we're kind of working with. So put the, the second picture up. Cool. If we add these numbers in, the one, two, three, and four, we can split up our lives into like four spiritual segments, if you like. Number one is BC. That is before COVID. <laughs> like life has got back to normal now. There was BC and now, you know, I'm joking. Before Christ. Before we came to faith in Jesus. And Paul describes that segment of our lives. And for me, I became a Christian when I was 22. For the first 22 years of my life, I did not come to church. I did not, I kind of prayed to something up there, right? Like before exams normally. But I didn't have a relationship with God. Paul says, in those years before Christ, he says in Ephesians 2.12, you are without hope. And without God in the world. How desperate is that, eh? Without hope, without God. That's like section one. Section two, this is where we get forgiven, right? The moment we put our faith in God, somehow God looks at all the terrible stuff and the terrible life we've lived, and He says, I forgive you on the basis of what Jesus has done on the cross. We forgive Him. It's beautiful doesn't hold our sin and rebellion against them. Then number three, this process from the day we put our faith in God right until the point where God calls us home, hopefully in our 80s or 90s or even later, 
They say that the first person who will live to be 150 has been born. Like that's the medical care going, amazing going forward. But that whole period of God changing us on the inside little by little, that's the transforming segment. And we never stop becoming more like Jesus. There's always some work that needs to happen on the inside. We're on a journey of spiritual transformation. And then number four, after we're promoted, after we get to heaven one day, or on the new earth when God wraps up this planet earth, we're going to be with God forever and ever and ever, and we'll be transformed. There will be no sin. We will be completely perfect, right? There will be no growing. You won't get better after you get to heaven. All the getting better happens on this side of life in segment three. Does that make sense? Everyone got that one down. Right, put down the third picture, please. We can say this in another way, right? So that uh, point number two there, you can say this is our new identity. The moment, the moment, the very moment I put my faith in God, God says you have a brand new spiritual identity. I might not understand all of it. I might not realize at all what it means, but it's true. At that point, I have a brand new identity. And that's the whole point of this series, helping us to understand what God says about us, okay? Then the second bit there is our new ways. Even though I have a new identity, I still need to live differently, okay? Can you imagine, um, I've got three kids, nearly 10, eight and a half, and four. Imagine I adopted, Candace and I adopted another child, Maybe they were also 10, right? Even if they lived in the same neighborhood, they went to the same school, they came to the same church, they were also uh, white and English like me, even if they were very similar outside, that family's got a different culture to me. If we adopted someone who maybe looked very similar to our family, but they came and lived with us, they would need to adapt and change because the culture of the Askoff family is different to whatever their family. They have to learn some new ways. And so this part where we are being transformed, this is where we learn to live God's new ways, yeah? And interestingly, underneath that you see Ephesians 1 to 3 and Ephesians 4 to 6, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians mostly deal with our new identity, the first three chapters, right? And Paul does it on purpose. He says, let me teach you about who you are. Before I teach you on how you should live the new ways, you first need to know who you are. So chapters one, two, and three are pretty much about who God made us to be in Him. And then when He says, when you've got this, before you start living differently, first understand who you are. Then let me tell you how you should live, chapters four, five, and six. And the last segment there is a new body. One day, when we get to heaven, when we get promoted, when we live on the new earth forever and ever, we're gonna have a new body. Some of us are really excited because this body is frail and it doesn't work always as it should. We mustn't um, detest our bodies. God's given it to us. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. We mustn't hate it. It's God's good gift to us. We should look after it, yeah? But we know that it's just temporary, right? It's just the earth suit, as my wife would say. We're going to get a perfect body. 1 Corinthians, is it 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the whole chapter is about the new body, if you are longing for that day when you get a new body, go read 1 Corinthians 15. It's really cool. 
But one day we won't be subject to any pain or tears or suffering or temptation. That's a glorious day. Right, the next version of the picture. Another way to say all of this, right, number two, is that I'm a saint. On the day I give my life to God, He forgives me of all my sin, I get this new identity, and He says, you are a saint. It's like, picture this, it's like God gives us a big robe that covers us, and it's the robe of what Jesus has done on the cross, the robe of righteousness, so that when God looks at us, even though He knows we're not perfect, He can see the robe of Christ's righteousness. He says, ah, look at that saint. Wow. Look what Christ has done. I know they're not perfect. On the inside, underneath the robe, there's still like some stuff to get right. That doesn't fool God. We can't fool God. But he says, you are a saint on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. How cool is that, right? It's like we get given this robe. We are made holy. We are a saint. But then in in number three there, we start to live holy. And underneath this robe, there is all the gunge. And all the wrong thinking that's led to wrong behavior and wrong living, yeah? And I now start to learn how to live holy. It's like God starts to change me from the inside out. It's God's power working in me and me working on my stuff. And every day we become a little bit more like Jesus. I, as I said, I became a Christian when I was 22. And I didn't go to church, etc. But I realized within a few weeks of starting to follow Jesus, that stuff was starting to change. Suddenly my language, my words were different. I'd stopped swearing within the first two or three weeks. I didn't really blaspheme very much, but I I stopped swearing pretty quickly, right? Other stuff took months and months of God like, come on, I told you about this last month. Come on, I told you about this three months ago. Right? Some stuff took a long time for me to sort out. Other stuff took years. And there's still other stuff God is still working on 19 years later. I'm very much a work in progress, as are all of us. Right? But, but some things just, they seem to change overnight. Other things like, it's like a daily kind of, we're working out our salvation, as Paul says, with fear and trembling. We are learning how to live holy. Right? And the last section there, there's one day in heaven, we're not even going to be faced with sin. The very presence of sin will be removed, and we will live with God forever. And just so you know, heaven is not a cloud. We don't become cherubs with wings and we play a harp. And it's not an eternal worship service, because I wouldn't want to go there, even as a pastor. No, no, no. Go and read the Bible. Heaven and the new earth is very exciting. You want to be there. But when we're there, There will be no sin whatsoever. We will never be tempted. We will never fall. We will never mess up in the presence of Jesus. And then the last picture, the last line we're going to add on, the Bible has some like technical or theological words that are used to describe these things, and you'll see them in the Bible. I'm sure you recognize them already, right? The moment we put our faith in God, we are justified. Justified is like it's a legal word where the judge says, You are not guilty. And the way that I remember that, justified, God looks at me just as if I've never sinned. Because like there's this robe of righteousness. I'm a saint. 
He knows I've sinned, but he looks at me as if I've never sinned. We are justified. Then this process of becoming more like Christ over days, weeks, months, and years, and decades, that's where we are being sanctified. It's a journey. It's a process of becoming more like him. And then lastly, one day we will be glorified. We'll have a, maybe we will get halos. I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> I haven't been there yet. But one day we're going to have a glorious body and an incredible eternity with him. We will be like him. We'll see him face to face. So when you see those words in the Bible, we know what they mean. And uh, if you are, in fact, last thing you must draw. If it was me, my drawing skills are very limited, right? I would draw a stick figure. But draw yourself. Draw a selfie. No, you can't draw a selfie. I heard this joke once, you know, selfies, what a selfie is, right? Would selfies be so popular if they were called lonelies? Because you're like the only one in the picture, so it's a lonely. Anyway, I don't know why. But, but draw, draw yourself on this timeline. If you're a Christ follower, if you've put your faith in Jesus, your little stick figure should be after number two, but before number three. If you draw it after number three, there's problems because you should, you should be in heaven, not here, Right? So somewhere between two and three, if you've put your faith in Jesus, somewhere on this journey, this is where you would be. Amen? Somewhere in zone two. So what, Glendon? What does this all mean? Well, three very quick points before we end this morning. Firstly, we, from this point of where you've drawn the stick figure, we look back with thanks. We look back with thanks and gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. I am forgiven. You've given me a new identity. I am a saint. I am justified. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's not something we can earn. As Brandon said, we put our faith in him. We believe in him. That's all. Like the thief on the cross, we believe in him. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And this attitude of thanks should pervade our lives. We sh in our prayers, daily, weekly, we should be giving thanks. When we sing, many of our songs are about thanks, aren't they? Thanks be to God. When we break bread as a church or at home or in life group, we're saying thank you for what you have done on the cross. We're remembering those things. So firstly, we look back with thanks. And from where we are now, number two, we look to become more like Him. A few chapters on in the same book, Ephesians chapter, Paul, chapter 4, sorry, Paul gives a really cool summary of this process of becoming more like him. We're going to read in verse 22. Talking to this church in Ephesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, the BC, before COVID, former way of life, to put off your old self, the stuff in segment one which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And verse 24, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul says three things. How do you, how do you work out your salvation? He says, well, firstly, put off, take off, get rid of the old stuff. Then make sure you renew your mind Right? Your thinking needs to change. And lastly, put on the new self. So he says, take off the old self. He says, the stuff you were doing in the BC days, just stop doing it. 
You don't need to pray, Lord, should I steal this car or not? Like, that's, that shouldn't be on your prayer list, right? Just, you know it's wrong to steal cars. Roman loves cars. He's never stolen one. <laughs> Petrol head over here. You don't need to pray, Lord, should I steal this car or not, right? Just don't do it, because <laughs> the Bible says do not steal, right? There's stuff that we know we should just not do. Oh, when I'm feeling holy, then I will, I'll stop swearing. No. Paul says, take off your old self. The stuff we know is wrong, let's just stop doing it. That's what Paul is saying, right? Stop swearing, stop lying, stop looking at pornography, stop gossiping, whatever it is. Then he says, be made new. Romans says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, our thinking is wrong about stuff, so we end up having bad decisions and, and living poor choices because our thinking is wrong, right? No, because it's wrong. <laughs> we have these identity gaps between what we think and what God says about us and how we are to live. And so how do we transform our minds? We've got to get God's truth about our identity and our new ways inside us. The psalmist writes in one, Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. So we've got to be reading God's word. We've got to be meditating on it. We've got to be obeying it, right? Not just, oh, that's a good suggestion. That's for the other guy on that side of church. <laughs> no, we should be doing those things. We should be memorizing God's word so that we start to change how we think. And then lastly, Paul says, put on the new self. In other words, start doing things differently that you know you should be doing. And it's, it's not just our effort. I'm going to be better. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm, not going to, I'm going to choose not to swear at the guy who cuts me off in the traffic. The Bible says it's both God's divine power at work in us and me doing my part. We can't say to God, yeah, the reason I'm not living holy is you haven't done enough in my life. <laughs> because Paul says, work out your salvation. You don't work for it, but once you've got it, there's, there's a new way to live. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who's at work in you. So you work it out, Mr. or Mrs. Saint, and God's going to help you with His Holy Spirit. Right? It's you and God. It's me and God. And so we start doing, and as we start to follow Jesus, like I discovered, and I'm sure many of you have too, suddenly our language becomes more wholesome. And our jokes stop being crude, and we stop lying. I was so proud of myself yesterday. The good kind of proud, not the bad proud. Because uh, there was an incident that happened to me about six years ago, five, six years ago, that really hurt me, right? It was it was some other leaders in another church. It wasn't this church. This is an amazing church. It wasn't here. Uh, and I was really hurt, and I carried that hurt for years. And I remember every now and then when I, when I felt it was a safe place, I would tell trusted friends about this hurt. And yesterday I was speaking to someone, and they referred back to this particular church, and they didn't know the incident, and I was able not to say anything negative about them. I'm like, wow, look how much God's done in me. I was like, the halo's coming back. <laughs> no, no, I'm not perfect. But, I, but we can see God transforming us because we talk different, we live different. He starts to change our desires, our motives start to change. We no longer want the, 
old lifestyle before Christ. And it's a glorious thing to see us moving along that line of being transformed. It's a glorious thing. Amen? David says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit. And then lastly, we look forward with hope. We look back with thanks. We look to what God's doing now in us, and we look forward with hope. I grew up in rural KZN. I lived on a farm. I grew up on a small farm. And there was a long dirt road past many other farms to get to civilization. We grew up with buckies and dirt roads. And about four, four or five k's into the dirt road from our, from our farm, the dirt road split in two. And one went north towards Peter Maritzburg, and one went south towards Durban. Right? So we lived kind of in between. And where both of those dirt roads hit the tar road, it was the same tar road, but obviously at other sides. And that was the, the old maid road between Peter Maritzburg and Durban. That's the Comrades Marathon route. And every year on Comrades Day, we would wake up early, watch the start. Remember the starter's gun? The, the, the rooster would crow. They'd shoot the gun. Tens of thousands of people would be started running. We'd watch it in the dark, cold of winter. We'd pack the bucky with, with chairs and with food and the scottle and with bacon and eggs. And we'd go to the end of the dirt road because we couldn't go beyond that because the marshals had blocked off the road. So we would like sit there for at least half the day, brying on the scottle, etc., etc., cheering on all these people. We did this year after year. The area, there's a comrades runner in our midst, maybe there's more than one, but that area is the Harrison Flats. So Andrew, when you run down there in a few months' time, the Harrison Flats, we were there years ago. But I've never run a marathon or even got close to running a marathon, but I believe marathon runners have told me that while you're running and you're halfway through, one of the things that keeps you going, because I mean, the comrades is 90 Ks, that's a lot of dedication and hard work, a marathon is 42 Ks. One of the things that keeps you going is the future hope of crossing the finish line, not being dragged across it unconscious, right? You want to cross it and you want to look good. And uh, I've heard people who say that as you enter the stadium when you finish comrades, the cheering of the crowds, like it lifts you as you cross the finish line. And that's a bit like your and my journey of faith, right? The starting gun goes off the moment we put our faith in Christ, like we're on this journey, and it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? The serving God is a marathon. We've got to pace ourselves, some of us. It's a marathon. It's a long way. It requires hard work and dedication. And there are some moments that are very difficult. Runners talk about when you hit the wall, and it's an invisible wall, and you're just like, the legs give out. Other moments are incredibly magnificent on this journey of following Jesus. But there's a future hope. One day we're going to cross that finish line. We're going to be promoted. We're going to be with Christ and all the saints. One day we look forward with hope to that one day. Amen. Our Heavenly Father will call us home. The writer of the Hebrews says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. The one who has justified us, if we cooperate, he will sanctify us, but for sure, he will glorify us one day. We will be glorified with him. He is faithful to bring us to that point of crossing that finish line. Can we stand together? I want to read, and you're welcome to read with me in this book, page, uh, the page without a number. 
The first page is Ephesians 1. The first page, second page is my identity creed. I want to end this morning just reading this over us. Maybe it's better if we close our eyes and I can read. Father, this morning we are so aware that we should be so grateful for your indescribable gift. Father, though we don't feel it, actually, if we put our faith in Christ, you would say, my saint, you are a saint because of the robe of righteousness. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us as we read these devotions every day, as we meet together in life groups, as we go on this journey, that you'd give us a revelation, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to know you more of what it means to be a saint and all the other things. And Father, as I read these words over us, I pray that it would be like your truth washing over us, cleansing us, reminding us, bringing us hope for the future for what you have for us. I am a child of God. I am made in the image of God. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I was chosen by him before the world began. I am loved more than I will ever know. My Father knows me. My Father cares for me. He takes great delight in me. I have been redeemed. I have been set free. I have been forgiven. I am a saint. I am loved in the beloved. I am designed and destined for great purposes in Him. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am God's holy temple. I am intended to live for His glory. Christ dwells in me. I am a new creation. I am a child of the light. I am part of a new family. I am precious. I am called. I am empowered. I am God's inheritance. I am a co-heir with Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I am dead to sin and alive to Christ. I am seated with Him in heavenly places. I am a child of God. Father, let that truth sink into our hearts and change how we think, Lord God. Just before we end, while our eyes are closed, I would love this morning just to give an opportunity like we've done in the weeks past. If there's anyone here today where you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, you've not yet crossed that line, we drew the little dot with the cross, you've not yet crossed the line of faith and becoming one of God's children. You've not yet been justified. We used that word this morning. I would love to just pray with you quickly as we're ending. No one else needs to know, but while our eyes are closed, if you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus today, I'd love to pray with you. Just put up your hand very quickly wherever you are. Thank you at the back. Anyone else you'd love to put your faith in Jesus? Make your life right with God as I did 19 years ago. Great. For that person, if you put up your hand, you can put it down again. You can just pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for doing things my way. I'm sorry for living my own life as I've wanted to. I see that I've fallen short of your glory. But I also see that you've provided a way of rescue through Jesus' death on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place for taking my punishment instead of me. And this morning, Lord, I put my faith in you. I, I give my life to you. I receive this indescribable gift of salvation. Come and make me a new creation. 
Come and make me born again. Come and justify me and help me, Jesus, to live a life that follows you and honors you all of my days until I get promoted. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well done to that person. If you were too shy or nervous, please come and chat to me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. Have a great week. If you're a visitor,